WPSL Port St. Lucie. It's time for We Are Just Christians live from Savona Church in Port St. Lucie. Here are your hosts, Mike Smith and Gary Jones. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning and welcome to We Are Just Christians. Thanks for tuning in today. We really appreciate it. Hope you can stay with us for the next hour. Normally, We Are Just Christians is a live call-in show, but today, since I had to be out of town this week, this is a recording that we made earlier in the week. So you can't really call into the station. We're not even going to give you the numbers today. But I will give you the text numbers in just a moment so you can reach us if you'd like to communicate with us either during the, during the show or after we'll be, we'll be able to answer texts. My name is Mike Schmidt. I'm the preacher and one of the elders for the Church of Christ on Savona Boulevard. And Gary Jones. How are you doing, Gary? I'm doing pretty good this morning, Mike. Gary Jones is a partner in the show, and, and we've been doing this show for several years here in Port St. Lucie to introduce this area and to promote the idea of being just a Christian in an age of rampant denominationalism and every idea that you can imagine. So we're not here to defend some particular denomination. We're not here to defend a creed book or historic Christianity in some way or what other Christians might have done or what they're doing around the world necessarily. We're only going to judge those things on the basis of of the Scripture, what the New Testament says. We're going to try to base our opinions and our thought processes on the scriptures themselves. And um, Gary, you mentioned this, that verse John twelve forty eight. I'll tell him, read it for him. You, you're, yeah, I know John, you're going to. Yeah, uh, it's John twelve and verse forty eight. He says, "He who rejects Jesus, this is Jesus speaking. He who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day." Yeah, so and so that's those are the some of the presuppositions for this show. I think Gary pointed this out here recently, and you can look at that fact that we believe that there is a God in heaven, and He has His Son Jesus Christ came to the earth. Jesus Christ is the is the sole judge, based upon the word that He left us in the Scriptures, which is where we point you to find out what God thinks and what we ought to do. So those are some of the basic presuppositions of this show. Now, you, you may agree or disagree with those. I hope that you won't just turn us off because you don't agree with that. We think we can defend each of those statements, not only from our experience and reason, but also from the Scriptures themselves. And, and remember, it's not just the red letters, if you have one of those old red letters. Yes, Bibles, it involves all of what's in the the scriptures, because, in particular the New Testament. Right, because Jesus spoke through his apostles after he ascended into heaven, and we can see that. So what they well, he said, said he was going to do that. He said, right. I can't tell you everything. Now you can't bear it. Exactly. I have to send the Holy Spirit to tell you the rest of it. And and Paul says in the Galatian letter, he didn't receive it from man. He received it directly from Jesus Christ. Right. So the things that the apostle wrote are also the things that Jesus spoke. When Je- when it, this verse, Jesus says, the things I have, the word that I have spoken We'll judge him in the last day. We're talking about all of the New Testament, basically right. all of Scripture. And that's why we call the show We Are Just Christians, because we believe that the, the way forward, both culturally, as a society, as a country, and as individuals, the way forward is through what Jesus Christ taught us through the Scriptures. And so we're just trying to be Christians here in this church on Savona Boulevard, not part of some denomination. We're not here to defend historic Christianity, whatever that may mean, or a creed book or a denomination or a synod or the Pope or anyone else. We're going to defend what Jesus Christ said through him and his apostles in the New Testament. And when you call in with a comment or question or when you text us, we're going to give you as best we can an answer from that text that you can look up yourself and then decide what you think about that. 
we'd love to hear from you. We, in particular, I mentioned this, and we, I mean this. We'd love to hear from you. If you're not a believer in the Bible or God or or in religion, or you've had a bad experience with Christianity or some church, that's not an uncommon thing to find out or hear. We'd love to hear from you and 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 honestly hear what you have to say, whether we agree or not. We're not going to treat you disrespectfully or use you in some way. I can't prove that to you until you actually try us, but you'll hopefully you'll have heard the show before. We're not going to disrespect you. We may disagree, but in the end, we're going to give you the last word, and we're going to go away, and we're going to think about what's being said. We expect you to do the same thing. So if you'd like to text Gary or I this week, even though we're not live on the air, you can reach me, Mike Schmidt, at 772-260-6120, 772 and Gary's text number, Gary Jones, his text number is 772-260-6220, 772-260-6220. So we get texts all the time. We'd love to hear from you, and we can answer back immediately or perhaps a little bit later. We can use the question you ask on the air uh, perhaps as a starting point for a conversation. So get in touch with the show. I'll give you uh, some other information about how to reach us a little bit later in the show. Uh, but that's kind of the basis of where we are in in this show. We are just Christians. So we're not here uh, as a part of some denomination. In fact, the church here on Savona Boulevard, we're not part of some denomination either. We're, com- we're independent, and we're, we, we're have, not, we're we not have our own elders. Right. We're not connected with any other group. Yeah, we're not a part of the American Indi- Association of Independent in, in churches, churches, some <laughs> denomination like that. Uh, we're we're underneath Jesus Christ as elders in this church through his word, trying to be servants. And the Christians here serve him, not us, and they don't serve some denomination. The money that we collect here on the free, as a free will offering on the first day of the week doesn't go to some major board in some other place or city or country. It goes to the needs of this church and these people to both preach the gospel and do benevolence and take care of each other. So that's the nature of, we think the New Testament church was like that in the Bible. That's what you see there. And that's why this church is like that, not because we're, we're against great structure or something. We just don't see that structure in the New Testament. Each church was independent. So in, in any event, there's a lot to this. And it's a difficult thing. I hope people might think we bit off more than we can choose sometimes, Gary, by trying to go back to the Bible. I don't think so. I think that's exactly what God wants each generation of people to do, is go back to his word. In Luke eight fourteen and 15, in the, speaking of the parable of the sower, Jesus said, after he talked about the sower going out and sowing the seed on different types of soil and the results, he said, the seed is the word of God. And when that seed that we sow falls on good and honest hearts, as the Bible says, it brings forth fruit. Sometimes it'll fall on hard and rocky soil or soil that can't sustain it. But the seed is the word of God. So our job is not just to to defend some something that happened in the 1500s or before that, or what some pope said or what John Calvin said, is to go back and plant the seed as found in the New Testament, in the Word of God. Well, and to, we plant that in people's hearts, it'll bring forth the fruit that God wants it to bring forth. It, it's to plant and water, and the seed is going to bring forth the same kind of fruit every time. Right. Yes, and it takes a while to get that job. It's going to bring forth the fruit that God wants. I use this illustration, i probably used on the air before, that we, sometimes you'll read in archaeology uh, magazines about they go and they uncover some pharaoh's tomb and they, c- they find jars of seeds of different kinds of wheat or something 
and they plant these. And every now and then, they get something that will sprout from this. And when they do, they don't get just any old wheat. They get Pharaoh's wheat. That's why they want to do it, because it's different than the wheat we have today. today. Yes, because it's changed. So we're trying to go back and not pick up what Martin Luther or John Calvin or what some preacher 100 years ago said or what some synod, uh, synod or council declared in some other century. We're trying to go back, way back beyond that, back to what Jesus and his apostles said because we know that that came from the Holy Spirit and we can have confidence in it. It may be, we may have to wade through some understanding. We may disagree at times, but we're determined to go back to that as the basis for this local church and for what we're going to teach you about how to be a Christian. And that's the reason we give the answers we do on this show, for whatever they're worth, is because that's the ideal. And given the fact that we're humans and prone to error, we don't always live up to the ideal as we should, but that's the point of it all. And yet other people, Gary, are willing to give up the ideal and just say, well, since we can't be perfect, let's all just have our opinion. You can have your truth and I'll have my truth and we'll all muddle through life together, nobody knowing the truth. That's not what Jesus said to do, not what the apostles well, said Well, that's to not do. what John twelve forty eight says. He says now, we'll be word, judged by his words. We'll right. be judged by what he believes, what his word said, what he was communicating to us. Right. Not what we have decided we should do. Right. And, and that's part of part of the you know it's 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 harder to do that mike and i think that's why it is difficult to do that it's more difficult to do that that's why it's easier just to slide along and i'm not going to say that we've done a perfect job of that here at savona boulevard but we're making the right honest attempt over many years to try to do that and we welcome people to challenge that if necessary so we can grow um the um and so, so I think maybe this came in a couple of months ago, Gary. We did a little bit with it, but not as much as we probably should have. But we had a comment from someone who emailed us and said they'd like to hear something about how to find the right church. Or how to how recognize, to, how to how to recognize, recognize the right church. And I think that's a, that's a big question. It's a very valid one. And maybe we'll just, since it's a recorded show and people can't call in, uh, they can only text. We'll, we'll talk, let's talk about that today. Maybe it'll start the seeds of some other conversations with people. And if you'd like to, to either email us or leave a comment, we'll be, as I mentioned, the two text numbers, 772-260-6120, 772-260-6220. And now I'll throw in the email address, which is justchristians, all one word, justchristians at att.net. It's an easy remember. You can email us there if you want to leave a longer answer or you can't, don't have access to a text. And we'll pick up that email this week, and we'll try to either get back with you or use your comments in a future show to educate other people. Usually people, Gary, uh, people think that um, nobody wants to hear my question or it's a dumb question or I don't, I'm the only one thinking this. But the truth is anybody who does any kind of teaching will tell you that there's that whatever same question, question out there yes, somewhere else. Whatever question you're wanting to ask is one that lots of other people have uh, already asked. When I started doing marriage seminars years ago, I started keeping track of the questions that were asked in the Q&A periods. And after a couple of those, it's the same, pretty much the same questions each time, the big questions. So, no, your question isn't, isn't dumb. It isn't something nobody wants to know about. It will stimulate discussions. We have a couple of callers here uh, to the show, regular callers, and I appreciate them because they ask questions that stimulate us Maybe we go in a different direction than they intended. I, I don't know. I can't say that. But 
it does stimulate us to talk about things that I know are of interest to people that are listening. So your question is going to be the same one. If you text in or email us or on a normal Sunday, you can call right in the show, get right through, and we'll have a conversation together, and we can hear your question. So in any event, what I started to say is, what we're talking about is, how to recognize the church of the Bible. Well, the short answer to that question is, if they're teaching what's in the Bible, but then that's right. not so the, short an answer. That's not, that's much more complicated, I suppose, than that, because there aren't very many churches out there, there are a few, who will say, well, no, we're not teaching what's in the Bible. Uh, in fact, I would say, as time goes by in my lifetime, Gary, more and more major denominations are saying outright, no, we're not teaching what's in the Bible. It's an antiquated book with, with a bunch of patriarchal, racist teachings, and so we're not teaching uh, that, but but most churches that people on the rest of the show are involved in will all say, "Oh yes, we teach the Bible," but they but, don't they don't draw attention to the differences that they're teaching. Um, many times I've heard pe- teachers on <coughs> excuse me on television that make statements about what you should do, and yeah, a part of that statement is in the Bible, and it's in in the case of prayer you know we should pray but the bible nowhere says that a prayer will save you right uh certainly should, doesn't talk about a sinner's prayer and it certainly such. doesn't talk about a sinner's prayer that will save you now the bible does say that we should pray and prayer is important but they don't tell you the whole story right that's that's part of what we get to recognize well, well even if you go back and look at just historical things i think i read this quotation Mm, a few weeks ago, maybe it maybe was in another setting, not this radio show. Uh, I can't. I speak in different settings, so sometimes my little pea brain won't sort it all out. But this is from the mid to early 1900s in a the standard manual for manual for Baptist churches to illustrate what we're saying here about church doctrine. Uh, Edward T. Hiscox. His, uh, was a Baptist scholar, and he wrote this manual for Baptist churches. Baptists would dispute that it's a creed book, but it's pretty close to a creed book. It tells you how to operate and start a Baptist church and the rules by which they should operate under under Baptist teaching. Now, there's about 25 different kinds of Baptists. I haven't checked this year, and there may be some more kinds. So, obviously, I'm not trying to put words in anybody's mouth, but I am taking something that's written by a prominent Baptist scholar or theologian or preacher about this matter, and I think what he says here is telling. And I'm not just picking on Baptists. This is this is the the point of this is not to pick on you because you're a Baptist. The point is this is a way of thinking that needs to be addressed. You can have this way of thinking if you're a Baptist or not a Baptist, and you can have it if you're a member of the Church of Christ. But it's not good thinking in my estimation. And let me read the quote. It is most likely, he says. That in the apostolic age, when there was, quote, but one Lord, one faith, and one baptism, and no differing denominations existed, that the baptism of a convert by that very act made him a member of the church and at once endowed him with all the rights and privileges of full membership. In that sense, baptism was the door into the church. But now it is different. And while churches are desirous of receiving members, they are wary and cautious that they do not receive unworthy persons. The churches, therefore, have candidates come before them, make their statement, give their experience, uh, quotes experience, and then their reception is decided on by a vote of the members. 
So this fellow is saying there was a time in the history of the church when there was just one Lord, one faith, and one baptism. Now I'm going to stop right And no differing denominations existed. I'm trying to tell you folks, that's the age of the church that we're trying to go back to. Okay, We're trying to jump, jump this now it's different part and go back to the time that the Bible speaks of when there was but one Lord, one faith, and one baptism. And that's why I mentioned, Gary, it's a way forward because it's a way for unity. But he says, no, we know that that was true, that there were no denominations, there was one Lord, and that baptism at that time was the door into the church. All the people who became Christians went were, through, baptized. were baptized to become a Christian. We know it was like that, he says, even as Baptist. But he says, now it's different. And because we have people that sometimes come who are unworthy to be baptized, we have to have them do other things like come before the whole church, give their statement of faith, uh, give their experience of when they were saved, how the Holy Spirit fell upon them, or whatever it may be. And then the members get to vote and see if they're accepted into the church. Okay? Now, now that is a clear statement of this attitude of, well, we know the Bible is an antiquated document that doesn't really apply much today. Gary and I, or whatever you may think is worth, are trying to go back to the time before it was different. Does well, that make any sense? Back to the, and we want to look. We want you in a, what we're talking about this morning, maybe later, to look for the signs of what that first church is in the first century were like, and demand that of the church where you're going to today. Exactly. As you look for one. <clears throat> That's exactly right. And basically, Mike, the thing that we challenge with that kind of logic is from John twelve forty eight. Where does Jesus say things were going to change? They're going to be, he doesn't say they're going to be changed. Right? Yeah, we we went through this before and do, do it again some other time. But there, he warned that there would be changes coming at the end of the first century into the second century. The apostles did. He warned that this would happen. And yet now the churches say, well, we, expect, we did that and it's okay. It's okay for things to be different than they were in the first century. Because after all, we live in a new age or different age, whatever. And, and so you get, not only do you get changes within churches, but you begin to get change fundamental shifts in christian teaching like for example about gay marriage and whether two men can be mar- can be married or transsexualism or uh, uh, women being uh, pre ordained preachers or whatever the case may be you get all these changes coming into churches and in when the changes are made if you listen to what's being said you will almost always hear that the bible is antiquated and not to be taken seriously because we live in a different kind of age. But now, but now it's different. Same, same quote, right? Now it's different. Therefore, we have to change the teaching. And some of, some of our listeners are alarmed by this. Other of our listeners are probably feel good about this, that they don't live in a time when we're, you know, doing antiquated things. Uh, and I don't know how, I mean, I can't, we can just have to go with what it is and admit that that's, that's how it is. But the question is, is that correct? Is that what we should do? Now, I don't believe the Bible is antiquated. I don't believe it's outdated. I don't believe it's irrelevant. I believe it's very relevant because God gave it. And it speaks to the issues of today. But a lot of people think that anything that happened, you know, last week is outdated. You know, that's, oh, that's so 2019, and they're so up to date that they can't, they don't see the, how th- the more thing. what's the saying? The more things change, the more they stay the same. Same. And the problem is human nature is very persistent. Anyway, Gary, you've been wanting to say well, something I, I, here, and I'm rambling I wanted rambling to go on. back to what you said earlier, that the Bible itself warns that these things would happen. Uh, and I, I'd like to quote Acts 20, in, beginning in verse 28. Paul is talking to the 
elders, I believe it's from Ephesus. Yes, uh, in, it is. In that case. Mm-hmm. And he says, therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves, men will rise up, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. Now, what are those perverse things? Basically, Mike, the de- definition of that Greek word there is to distort, to they're mis- twisted. They take it say like a pretzel and turn it around. It used to be straight, now it's right. a pretzel. It's twisted right. up. Or to misinterpret. Right. So you don't interpret what's there. It's to make it corrupt. That's the meaning of that word there. And they do this to benefit themselves. Which is a human right motivation. to draw themselves away. The effect is to distort the gospel of Christ into something different. And then when you put it before a council or a synod and people vote on it, you know, then you end up with um, permanent doctrine being taught as historic, quote-unquote, historic Christianity teaching certain things. But it's in conflict with Scripture. It's in conflict right. with what God says. And that's how you get things like people say, well, churches over the years have supported racism or whatever the case may be. Well, that may be true. I have no doubt that that's true. The question is, does the Bible teach that racism is permitted or in the did the early churches with God's approval, practice race, racism or prejudice? And the answer is no. They did practice it sometimes, but they were condemned for it. And so when churches down through the years come up with these convoluted doctrines to justify things like right racism, then they're not teaching what the Bible teaches about it. And that's, that's one example of things people object to today. Or the idea, for example, that since the Bible teaches the headship of men in the church, that, 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 that the church supports... Uh, the mistreatment or abuse of women. We talked about that in our Bible class this morning. I categorically deny that. The New Testament is very clear, and in particular is clear for a document of its age, that abuse of women and disrespect of women is not permitted nor sanctioned by the churches. Did some historic, quote-unquote, historic churches develop doctrines that disrespected women or allowed them to be mistreated? Yes, they did. But once again... We're not worried about that. We're going back to what the scriptures teach about that whole thing. And yet, we'll have to stay true to what it says. Another verse, Gary, that, like the one you just mentioned, we've read before, is found in 1 Timothy chapter 4, where Paul here says, in 1 Timothy 4, beginning in verse 1, Now the Spirit says expressly that in latter times, some will depart from the faith. They won't develop the faith. They will depart from the faith, giving heed to sed- to seducing or deceiving spirits and the doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry, commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving. Now, he says here then there's a time coming, very clearly spoken of by the Spirit, when men will pervert the gospel of Christ, begin to make up their own commands, like forbidding people to marry and not to eat certain foods or meat, and he says these are the kinds of things they're going to do that he says are perversions of the gospel. So the idea that men through their councils can come along and just make whatever statements they want to later in history outside the New Testament era. And we're all supposed to say, oh, isn't that wonderful? A council of uh, really holy, pious men made these decisions and now we're going to accept them. That's not what the Bible teaches about where my faith should be. They may be right, they may be wrong. I can read something like the Apostles' Creed and generally agree with the Apostles' Creed. 
But I place no significance in that at all, nor do I, would I ever require people to memorize it and state it, sound it out in a worship service, because the Apostles' Creed is not the document that we base our faith and practice on, both individually and as a church. Well, you talked about some churches in some, in some cases may practice uh, racism or other things. I'd just like to read from the Galatian letter. Paul talks about this. Beginning in verse 26, he says, For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Right. Those, those things are not barriers to brotherhood with each other, nor barriers to God, depending on all those, all those social conditions. Well, there's, now, there's, now, there's other issues that we need to talk about in the right. show, perhaps slavery and some other things that need to be talked about. But slavery was not a racial thing back then like we would think of it today. Uh, but in any event, once again, we need to go back and see what the Bible says about that, not base our opinion of Christianity as such on what some church did in history. Uh, I'm, not gonna, I'm not going to accept responsibility for what was done in history in the name of Christ by other people. I can go back to what the Bible says for me to do, and I can stand on that, and I can have faith and confidence in that. I don't feel like I have to be drawn into defending something that's indefensible. Okay, it's just not... For example, hypocrites in the church. Of course churches have hypocrites. They had them in the New Testament. They were warned against, roundly condemned. Nothing is more destructive to to a local church, both from inside and outside, than a hypocrite, a phony, a pretender. And, and when, when you properly understand what that person is, churches should be against that. But I don't feel the need to defend the fact that there's hypocrites in the church. I'm going to condemn that because the Bible condemns that. And yes, there are hypocrites. Now, the question is not whether they're hypocrites, but what are you going to do about that? Some churches just keep promoting this kind of phoniness because they end up promoting and uh, giving, what's the word for it, sanction to all these celebrity pastors and other people that are preying on them by, in their pride and in their, in their uh, uh, you know, desire to be powerful and well-known, they end up preying upon the churches and on the people in the churches. And churches just keep falling for it because they won't follow the New Testament pattern of what pastors are and what elders are, as we talked about last week. Now, I'm way off the subject here, Gary. Well, no, not really. I'm not going to defend those things, nor do I feel compelled to. I'm going to keep pointing people back to the pattern. Well, not really, Mike, because what we said at the beginning, the way you recognize the church as God established it it is what it practices and whether that's in Scripture or not. Right. The problem is recognizing that Scripture is the foundation, is the standard by which we're going to be judged, which what Jesus said in John twelve forty eight, what he said, Scripture, is the standard by which we will be judged. We're not going to be judged by the standard of some synod or group determination or, or how one group voted in to have a church as a member. That's not the standard. Right. The standard is Scripture, and that's what we're saying. You have to understand if you want to go to God's standard, that's the only place to find it. Well, now, you see, Gary, what we're talking about here now is, for, is um, maybe the crux of some of the issue today. When we talk about standards um, and how to, how to recognize a New Testament church or the right church, as it were, 
our presupposition is, yes, there is a standard of right or wrong or good or bad behavior and belief, and we've tried to talk about that being the Bible, and we could, I think, establish that with many other proofs in some other show, but we're saying there is a standard to be judged by. Now, what's rejected by a lot of people today is the idea that there's any standard of behavior or belief that anybody could put forward and say, this is the correct standard. If you put forth a standard, they would say, well, that's nice. It's, that's, that's true for you. That's nice for your church. But you can't ever say anybody else is accountable to that. Well, that's, a, that's one of the presuppositions that people had today, is that truth is relative and there's no way to know. If I want to know how long a line is, I'm going to have to have some kind of standard in order to measure it. Won't work any other way, you know. But, but we, tend, we think in the modern era we can just have no standards to judge anything by. Except, ironically, those very same people who claim to be non-judgmental are extremely judgmental about their ideas about what's good or bad in religion. You know, they're, they're very willing to tell me you can't use the Bible for a standard, and then they begin to tell me without knowing it what their standards are for churches and how bad churches... Well, you know, if you're going to condemn my church, that means you must have some standard or you couldn't condemn anything, you see. So the point is, all of us live by standards and judgments, and we have to do that. What is that standard? You and I are telling people, we ought to agree that an impartial standard like the gospel of Jesus Christ ought to be the way we decide what churches and what individuals ought to do. Jesus himself said so. That's the verse you quoted. And right. We're, and we're willing to, we believe people should accept that standard. Now, when you do... Now you can have unity, okay? You, you, you know my father-in-law, John. Yes. Gary and John were in, both engineers. And, and uh, you know, John was, uh, he was a proponent of the metric system. He and I, I used to mock him all the time about the <laughs> metric system. Anyway, but, but he and I would have a hard time agreeing on how long a line was or how, how to measure a wall. If I'm using the, the, the English system and he's using the metric system, we're never going to agree, are we? Right. Until we can come to some kind of common understanding of that. And so it is in religion or anything else. And yet people are, so before you get upset about us being judgmental, anytime you have a standard that you judge by, and if your standard for judging a church is they're nice to each other, okay, well, where'd you get that standard? How do you know that? And if I begin to press you on what your standards are, is it going to come back to just, that's just my opinion? Or do you actually have something with a little more meat on its bones than that's just my opinion? Did Jesus say that each man is going to be judged based on his own opinion of what he ought to be doing? That's the very thing he was condemning in them, and so did all the prophets, that people went around judging things based only on their own opinion and didn't pay attention to what God said about it. Therefore, they, they, they hated each other, they mistreated each other, all manner of so ills occurred in society and in, and in the churches or in ancient Israel because they wouldn't agree to the right standard. So we need a standard. Gary and I are saying it's the New Testament. And we're going to keep turning you back toward that anytime that you interact with this show. And I hope you see the reason why it is so that we can come to some agreement. And maybe I need to change my mind. Maybe you need to change your mind. But if we're going to evaluate what church is correct or which churches are more accurately representing what the Bible says. We have to have a standard to do that by. 
and the, in my and, opinion, isn't the right one, isn't the true answer. Right. It, it, it has to be the standard that God gives us, which is the Bible makes that claim. Uh, in, in many cases, Paul said he didn't receive the gospel he preached from man. He received it from Jesus Christ. Right. Now, you only have really two choices about that. Either he did or he didn't. Right. And you have to make that decision. And so, there, and so therefore, to, to try to find a, a church, if, you want to, if you're looking for a church, and we have people, that we, we had several visitors today, Gary, um, and this is Sunday we're recording this show, but uh, we've already had our services for the day. We had several visitors today that I would imagine if I could have pulled them aside and talked with them briefly, they would say, yes, I just moved into the area and I'm looking for a church. That's great. We'd love to have you come. Hope you hope some of you listening to this show will come next week and, and take a look at what you see and hear here at Savona Boulevard. And then talk to me about that. Talk to Gary about that when you come and see what you think. But my question then would be, okay, on what, on what basis are you making this decision about what church you ought to attend or where you ought to go or what you believe? What's the... What's the criteria or the basis of that decision? Is it because we have a good baseball team or softball team where you're going to be disappointed because we have neither, or a bowling alley, or we have uh, uh, the best fog machine or light show in town, or the best or the, band? Or the org- organized trips to Disney right. World? Or is that universal? the criteria that you're using? Or is there some other standard that you're using? Well, if you're using any of those kind, uh, I have to tell you, you're, we're going to fall far short of your expectation. Because the re- And we don't have those things because we don't find them as a part of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the way churches operated their business. And neither do we find not just the specific things, but the intellectual foundation for those things. Uh, we have many modern things here in our building. It isn't that they're modern. Uh, we, we just installed a new Mevo camera for our live stream. We're trying to upgrade our live stream. As, and uh, that's modern technology. And we don't find you can't well you can't find a Mevo camera in the Bible I know but we can certainly find the justification for that reasonably and honorably so in the idea to spread the gospel and to edify the members of this church go so into, that go camera into is all going the to world do, going yeah. to, that uh, camera is yeah. going to do both those things go it's into edif- all the world and preach right. the gospel that's that's what Jesus told them to do so it's going to edify our members that can't be here because of the virus and it's going to go out to people that never heard it before. So, and Jesus didn't say how to go. He just said go. Right. Well, you know, when you look then at, at a church to say, is this a New Testament church or not? Uh, there are many places you can start. Uh, one of the places that you could start is basically just called the doctrine or the teaching of that church. Is the teaching of that church, the doctrine of that church, the word of God only, or is it something else? The early church in Acts 247, 242, and then 247, it says they continued steadfastly in the apostles' teaching or doctrine. doctrine. Yes. And, and so that's what the, the church needs to be doing. When you find people making statements like the one I read earlier from that Baptist scholar that we know was like this in the New Testament, but now it's different, that ought to send up, alarm bells ought to be going off. When you see that, when you go in, they hand you a creed book and you're reciting some other creed than the Bible then your alarm bells need to be going off. You need to really examine that because there's just something that, that's possibly off because they're not teaching just the doctrine. You know, Christ is the lawgiver, 
according to Ephesians 4, and the Holy Spirit's the revealer of the teaching of God. He gave it to men. By when Paul says in Ephesians 3, when we read it, we can have his understanding of the mystery of Christ. And the apostles' teaching in Acts 2.42 becomes the standard. And so many churches, that's not it. The standard, I'm on the uh, middle of that, but yeah. the, 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 the standard is what somebody like Ellen G. White, the founder of our denomination, said, or what Joseph Smith said, or uh, what the Watchtower Bible and Tract Society says about it, rather than taking you to just the Scripture, trying to understand what it says. And and some churches, for example, the Catholic Church is very bold about this, or not bold, like it's just basically what their teaching is, that if in the Catechism it asks the question, is the Bible sufficient sufficient as a guide for man in salvation and the answer plainly in the catechism is no in big bold letters the bible is not sufficient it takes both the bible and tradition the catholic teaching is so the bible says no the apostles doctrine is not sufficient it takes the bible then plus the tradition of the catholic church down through the centuries all the synods and popes and so forth or councils and popes, that makes up the true teaching of the church. You know, that kind of strikes me now, as a little... Catholics don't know that, but that's exactly what it says. Yeah, they don't make any bones about it. I'm not slandering them. That's just a fact. And and just, just a matter of thought, Mike, that kind of makes a little puzzlement to me in that if it takes the Bible and tradition, you would think they would want to go back to the very beginning for the traditions. Yes, just get those. Just well, you know, them. it isn't that much different than what the Pharisees were saying at the time of Jesus. The Pharisees were teaching that to be saved, you had to know the law of Moses, what Moses wrote, and the custom or tradition of the elders, the yeah. elders of Israel. So what they were saying is you have to know both the custom of the elders, and they condemned Jesus for not following the tradition of the elders, it says, about hand-washing. They knew they couldn't exactly go back and show where Moses commanded that they ought to wash their hands. But they, they said, why don't, your, why don't you teach your disciples to follow the custom of the elders? Jesus basically told them to go away because he wasn't going to do that, that Moses' law was sufficient, and that they had added to God's word their own commands when they did that. And so when you say it takes something besides the words of God to save someone, you are saying the same thing the Pharisees said in Jesus' time. It took something more than what God gave Moses to save someone. And Jesus wouldn't tolerate that teaching. I don't think we should either. So that's the first place you start. That's why, I don't know if I mentioned it earlier or not, but in Acts 17, about verse 11 or so, Paul came, he was teaching in various cities in what's now Turkey and, uh, and, and Greece, and he came to a synagogue in Thessalonica, and taught them there. And then he went on to the city of Berea, which is near there. And it said that these in that synagogue in Berea were more noble than those in Thessalonica because they received the word with joy and then they searched the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. So they listened to what Paul said from the Old Testament scriptures. And then they compared what he said to what they could read in the Old Testament prophets. And then they judged it on that basis. God called them noble for doing that. So if you come here to visit, I'm going to ask you to, I'm going to put scriptures up on our screen for you to look at. We're going to talk about them. Gary's going to talk about them. I'm asking you to sit there in the audience and look at those, read them for yourself and think about what they say and then decide, is that what the Bible's saying or not? If it's what the Bible is saying, then I think you should believe it. Follow it. If it's not, 
you should reject it and talk to us about it. it. When you go to some other church, don't just sit there like a sponge and listen to what's being said. You need to think through what's being said and done before your very eyes. Ask questions. Why is that? Why are they doing that? What does this mean? And compare it clearly to what the Scriptures say. Think through it. Now, that's a tedious process. It's difficult. It can sometimes be, well, not only is it discouraging, you're going to be, you're going to be uh, discouraged from doing that because it challenges people's beliefs. But that's what's required to find the right church in today's environment of 1,500 different denominations. It takes a certain amount of study. Uh, the Hebrew letter says, uh, without faith it is impossible to please him, talking about God. It's impossible to please him for one must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Right. The diligent part is the stumbling block in, in most cases, I think. We don't want to be diligent about finding God. We we're, don't. We're, it's easier to find the church with the right basketball team or the right band than it is to find one with the right doctrine. Or worse yet, it's easier to find the church that will tell me what I want what, to hear. Or what you already believe or what you want to hear. Yes, yes, yes that's yes. true. That's, that's, that's true for all of us, and uh, there's no monopoly on that here at this church, but it's true for all of us, but it's something we can, need to be careful about. Gee, now, Jesus does something when he's tempted by the devil that I think is is glossed over, and, and bear with me for just a minute, Mike. Oh, uh, go ahead. Uh, the devil tempts Jesus in a couple of ways, and Jesus answers him with Scripture in every case. And um, he says... If it is written. It, it is, is written. written. It is he written. says, if you are the Son of God, conf- uh, command these stones to become bread. And Jesus said to him, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Now, that sets the stage. We need right. to know what comes from the mouth of God. It says, Then the devil took him up to the, into the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He shall give the angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot on a stone. Now, if we stop there, the devil accurately quoted that scripture. That is in the Old Testament. I believe it's in the Psalms. Right. Psalm 90, I think. Uh, and if you... Just take that one scripture, what the devil is asking Jesus to do is not particularly wrong. But Jesus' reply said, Jesus said to him, It is written again, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord your God. What Jesus is saying, there was another scripture that limited the application of that first one. And that's hard for many people to understand, Mike, I believe. It, it, we can't just take one scripture Psalm ninety one twelve. by the way. Right. Yeah. We can't just take that one scripture because Jesus says, hey, it's written again. Here's something else that limited that first it show, one. showed how they were misapplying what they were hearing in the first yes. one. So, and yes, it takes, it takes time to do that. And you may, you may not have time to search. But uh, another key that I see so often, and these are people that I would say to fairly judge the situation, that they ha- do love Bible and are trying to follow it, but these the Reformed churches that I read about and and follow some of the writings and blogs of the Reformed theology, which is Calvinism uh, and and uh, the the churches like that, they're constantly talking about how defending the doctrine of the Reformed churches and um, what what Calvin said or what Reformed the, what they judge everything by basis of is it true to Reformed theology. 
it's altogether mistaken. It's altogether the wrong thing to be concerned about. It's the wrong standard. I'm not concerned when I get up here and preach that what I say matches up what's being what some other Church of Christ person has said in the past. If you want to look at it that way, um, I, we, I don't care if it doesn't ma- if it's not if I can't read it in the Bible and plainly teach you about it, then I don't have any concern that you follow it either. If that makes any sense. Well, I don't care if it matches Reformed theology or not. I'm going to judge on that basis. That's exactly one of the things that I, I keep wrestling with all the time is basically when we get up, I'm not going to to worry about saying something I believe from Scripture that is going to offend somebody. Because basically, Mike, I've said this many times, if you study the Bible thoroughly and and diligently, you're going to find things you don't like. Well, the truth that, is, Gary, you're too old to care. <laughs> well, that may be part that, of that, it. That's me. Well, yeah. the, I'm teasing you about that. No, uh, there comes a point in life where... Where you what, realize what that people think of you don't yeah. matter as much as being having integrity is sort of or having integrity or being uh, seeking with the word of God. Well, I mean. it's seeking the honor of God, not the honor right. of men. You, you Jesus said how, that. You realize how vain to seek the honor of men is. How how empty yes. and foolish it is. So, in any event, um, yeah, yes, and so doctrine is critical. And yet, even if you just leave it at that, I would say that if you ask a lot of people, how do you find the right church, doctrine wouldn't come at the top of their list at all. It would be a lot of other things. Because in their view, oh, maybe these churches all teach the same thing, or, well, since they disagree, I'm no expert, I really can't tell. You know, It's like me quizzing my exterminator on which poison he's using. You know, uh, is all the long names going to curl your ears, and so you go on about it. But, but the truth is, in this matter, in spiritual matters, it matters. It matters what you know and believe and what you're being taught. And so look for that. Start there with doctrine. And you can even move from there to the idea of, well, how is this local church organized or structured? Is it part of some worldwide denomination with its, with an unscriptural name based on a something like Martin Luther or some other name that has had nothing in the Bible about it? Is it, is it something that is been invented by men. You can go back in history and find the exact time it came about, like Mormonism, with Joseph Smith in the 1800s. You can give the date when he found the stones and the angel showed him this and that and the other. That's long after Christ. Same thing is true with Jehovah's Witnesses in the 1800s. I mean, just mentioned a couple. So the organization of that church is important. And what we find in the New Testament is that New Testament churches were organically independent from each other, from every other local church, and they were only under Jesus Christ and the elders of that church. Now, they all taught the same thing, and they ostensibly should have. And Paul said he taught the same doctrine as an apostle in all the churches, as I teach everywhere in every church. In Acts 4, uh, Galatians. Yes, and also... Basically, basically he said, if you're taught any other gospel than what I've taught yes. you, uh, let... Let whoever's teaching it be accursed, because he said there is only one gospel. Right. There is, there is none other. But Paul, as an apostle, taught the the, the truth uh, in this case, and to to all the, to the people that he had a matter of teaching him to, and he taught the same thing in every church. But those churches were independent of each other. There was nothing that linked them together. No other super organization that linked the churches together. 
and that they were responsible to. Those churches were only responsible, each one, to Jesus Christ. Now, each, each, and in each of these, and so there was no Baptist denomination with its headquarters here or the Worldwide Church of God in Anderson, Tennessee, and it has its headquarters and its branch and its churches, the Roman Church in the, in the city of Rome with all the hierarchy. All of those things are unscriptural, extra-biblical, and you ought, that ought to be a warning to you that you're not dealing with the New Testament church because the people who practice those things are not respecting what the Bible says about church organization and the pattern. And and uh, when you read the historians of these churches, and go back and, and you know, you, person who's a Baptist and a Baptist historian, he'll tell you this, that that's not how it was in the beginning. You can read works like Philip Schaff's The History of the Christian Church. It's about two feet long on my bookshelf. And he'll, he'll detail in great, at great length how the structures and organizations that became the Roman Catholic Church came about and how all these other churches and their organization structures came about. And none of that stuff is following the Bible pattern. Now, we reject that here at the Church of Christ on Savannah Boulevard. That's why we're independent of all those things. We're only under Christ. Well, there's, there's, the law was given by the lawgiver. We're responsible for that. He let, makes all of us who are local here uh, amenable to that. And he, we, he appointed elders in this church. And we guide people in that, uh, and, and along with the deacons here. Now, those are things I can read about in the Bible. That's a structure I can find very clearly in places like First Philippians chapter 1. And in many ways, Mike, that relationship is reflected in Scripture in a place that people don't really think about very much. Uh, in the book of Revelation, there are letters to churches. And you'd ask yourself, who then is speaking to every one of those churches? It's not, it's not the apostle. It's Jesus Christ is telling him, this is what I'm saying to each one of these right. individual churches and each one of them is different. Each one of them has a little bit different problem. They had a different set of problems, different people there. But the gospel applied to all, all of them. them. They were to make that application. They, they were told to circulate these letters among each other. Right. And, and, but we don't often think of the book of Revelation as teaching us that sort of thing. But, but I saw that when I started basically looking at some of those letters in the churches there's there's that independence of those churches right there in what right. they're told and and the reason for that men like centralized things oh that's inefficient men like everything to be centralized but in god's view i think part of the reason for that is this that if the church at ephesus or the church at corinth were to get off the track in the new testament times they wouldn't necessarily drag everybody else down with them but if all the churches of Galatia had one, one bishop over them and that bishop got off the track like Paul warned that they would do, yes, then he could drag all those Christians and churches with him. And this is exactly and precisely what's happened. So God's plan for the churches to be independent of each other, we can talk at length about how that came about, but it has a lot of wisdom in it. And, um, and yet, you know, if somebody is here in this church, uh, which is independent from any other, only under Christ. If they want to move to another city, I can make an inquiry very, very, relatively quickly, and I can find other Christians in that city who are practicing and doing the same kinds of things we are here in this church. I can find those other Christians. I don't have to have a central agency that goes to, to find those people and one that determines who's in it, and you officially are a member of this association of churches or what, whatever, that's still no guarantee. 
The only guarantee of a church's faithfulness is what they're doing and what they're practicing. What they're doing locally. And locally, what that's what I'm saying, what, uh, locally, and, and we find that out quite easily here. So we don't need all that extra uh, organization and structure to accomplish the will of God. We're at better, uh, better able to do that like the Bible directs locally. That's why Paul told, or Peter said, that I think we mentioned this passage recently in First Peter 5, that he was a fellow elder, uh, among, and they were to tend the flock which was among them, not somebody else's flock somewhere else, you see. And that's the problem. And so we've all seen cases where churches, one, uh, one bishop or one organization gets corrupted, drags a whole bunch down with him, and um, oftentimes, it's a sad situation. Oftentimes, even the independent churches, such as uh, many of the churches of Christ, will be led astray by one man. They can it be. Ha- it can be led. Especially if that, and then if the organization has more more structure than that, you get this. Uh, you get a big problem with it. So, in any event, this is the structure of a New Testament church. Now, it's now, different than what you're expecting because it's not what's practiced across Christianity in the United States. Now, what we've we've what you and I have advocated today is a reference to the Scripture to determine what should be practiced, because the, the real question is how do I recognize God's church? Right. That's what I want to recognize. I don't want to recognize Calvin's church, and I don't want to recognize Luther's church. I want to recognize God's church. Right. And so. One of the things that we've said here is the scripture is the place. Now, the hard part of that is in order to recognize one thing by a standard, what do you have to do, Mike? You have to know what the standard is. You have to be familiar with the standard. If I'm going to measure something, I have to be familiar with my tape measure. I have to know how it's marked off in quarter inches or quarter inches or whether it's millimeters or centimeters or whatever. I have to understand those dimensions of measurement. And so that's what we're asking. You have to, and that takes work. You have to understand the Bible. It is understandable when you read it. Paul says when you read the letters that he wrote, you can understand what he knows about God. Right. The Bible is readable. Jesus said when he was asked questions is, have you not read? Jesus expected the people in his day to have read the scriptures and understood them. There's, there's no denying that. You cannot deny that read what he says and deny that fact. He expected them to read their scripture and understand it. He expects us to read the scriptures today and understand it, and it's written so that we can. But that takes work, and it takes diligent work to look for God in that respect, and that's one of the reasons people have so much trouble with it, I believe. Right. Yeah, and, and, and they're, they're usually it's easier just to <clears throat> go back to some historical point in time or some person to establish that. For example... Yeah, um, I'm not going to hear. I'm not going to at this church defend what we've done in the past or not done, only but only on the basis of God's word. So if I if I were to ask uh, my Baptist friends, of which I have very many, you know, why does your church use instrumental music? They would say, well, Baptist church has been known to do that for 150 years. Even though maybe the most famous Baptist of all time, Charles Spurgeon, said he would rather pray to God with machinery than sing to God with machinery. So um, in any event. Uh, they 
they would basically tell me, well, that's what Baptist churches have always done. And that would be good enough. They've always done that, so that becomes the authority to continue to do that. And they would quote some convention or something that established that. And in reality, they haven't always done that. No, they haven't, but that would be the perception of that. Whereas you and I, we wouldn't say, well, we, we sing here because Churches of Christ have always sung. That's not, a, that's not what I would say. That's not what you would say. We would say, well, look what the scriptures say the early church did. They sang hymns together and praised God together and did what they did. And we can find nine or ten scriptures that indicate that very thing, that they sang with their own voices as the instrument to worship God with rather than instrumental music or uh, alongside that. And so, and in would, contrast would, to the Old Testament where they did use well, it. Why, well, if I, ask, if I were to ask one of my denominations, well, why does your church only take the communion once a quarter or once a year? Well, that's always been the custom of these churches, and they would cite some reference if they really were interested in that, cite some reference uh, to some historical document. If that's what the practice of our churches is. And they would quote some manual on how to do that. If they were to ask us, well, why do you do the Lord's Supper like you do it? Well, I would be able to go to 1 Corinthians. I wouldn't have to go and say, well, churches of Christ have always done that. Maybe, but that's not the reason. That's not the answer you're going to get. The answer is going to be, here's what the scriptures say. And you, when you come and look at it, you will see that what we do, I think pretty clearly, is what the scriptures say. You may think we should alter this or that because it's not elaborate enough, but it's what the scriptures say to do. So we're not going to quote to you, well, churches of Christ have always done that. We're going to look at what this Bible says, why we should do that. Does that make any sense, Gary, or out of, out of my off the, uh, off the track here? So no. That, we've got that, a couple minutes left, so wrap this yeah, up for us. Basically what I'm, what I'm saying is it's not going to be easy to recognize... God's church. In order to recognize God's church, you have to understand and know God's word and what his instructions are, because that is the standard. Now, yes, and the other thing that you mentioned uh, in a previous show, Gary, that goes along with this, and I think you brought up a little bit earlier in this show, that is the key to this, and we only got a couple minutes left, so we can't go into detail about this, is what does your church teach about how to be saved? Because if you don't, if the church you're a part of is not teaching people how to be saved from their sins to become Christians. What the Bible what, says what how the, to be saved. Yes, what the Bible says to be saved properly and fully, then what good are they? I hate to put it that way, but what good are they if they can't teach you how to be saved? But so many churches today have just parroted something developed in the 60s and 70s in, some, in the United States about this idea of a sinner's prayer or whatever. It's based somewhat on Reformed theology, although there's disagreement about that. But they're not really getting to you and saying, take all the Bible, all the verses about baptism and confession. They just leave all those out and tell you one or two things about belief, right? And I'm summarizing briefly because we haven't got much time. But, but that's not sufficient. Pay attention to what they're telling you about how to be saved. Or completely omit one of the more important things, repentance. Repentance, that's right. They will, they will omit that. The, these, these things are necessary. The, the belief... The repentance, the confession of Christ before men, and the baptism into Christ. If they're not teaching that, that's the first thing. If, you, if they're you, not teaching that, then you, then need, you know you there. Look you look somewhere else. You don't have to go any further. No, you don't. That's exactly right. Well, our time is gone today. We thank you very much for listening to We Are Just Christians. Next week, we'll be back live, the Lord willing. We would invite you to come to our assembly, though, 2196 Southwest Savona Boulevard here in Port St. Lucie, the north end of Savona on the southwest side. 
We'd love to have you 10, 11, and 7.30 on Wednesday evening. We'd love to see all of you here. You're all welcome. And we also want you to take a look at our website, wearejustchristians.com. Wearejustchristians.com. Well, thanks for listening, and may God bless you, and tune in again next week. WPSL Port St. Lucie.